freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Wow. Seattle Sports on 710 SeattleSports.com, Seattle Sports app, Seattle Sports, everything and whatever else you could find. Plus all the podcast platforms out there. You know where we are. You know which podcast platforms you like and just go there and find us and download us and subscribe. So it just comes right to your phone and it's easy to listen to when you're at the gym or running or driving or whatever it is that's important to you later in the day. Rabbit holing on YouTube or something like that. Whatever it is you happen to be doing, we want to make sure we're available. So uh, here we are. Hi. Hello. Uh, It was a good day yesterday, obviously, for everybody. Mariners win. Seahawks practice, which was great. Uh, More, I know you were there and I want to get some of your uh, camp observations and uh, we'll actually do that as soon as possible. Just a quick shout out to Julio and Kelnick for the first ever Mariner win triggered by Julio and Kelnick. (laughs) <laughs> what, a, what a great little tease and glimpse into what was supposed to be the future. Yeah. And by the way, still very well might be the future, oh, right? Boy. I mean, like. I'm if, just not going to be the one to jinx it by saying it is. Well, but if that's the future, hello. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's you know, I know that there's a group of people. Oh, it's the A's. It is the A's. You're right. Yeah. Can't I can't I can't change the fact that yesterday's opponent was the A's, as will be tonight, as tomorrow and the day after that as well. They're playing the A's four straight here chance to really do some damage you know who else gets to play the a's everybody else yeah right i, I mean like it's just part of your season they're professional so baseball team. they're they're play- i mean sort of <laughs> let's let's not get carried away justin they're they're in the ma- they're in the majors okay i don't know if i want to call them a professional baseball team there's a lot of double a guys on that team but you get the point that's who they played and last night they did exactly what you're supposed to do when you face a team like that good on them and we'll talk more about them over the course of the morning uh, also yesterday, we had a chance to see the full squad in effect for the first time. Bobby Wagner back, Geno Smith out there as the starting quarterback for his first OTA in that role. The rookies out there together. Maura, you were there. What was the vibe? What did you see? Take us through. Uh, take us through the day. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was great to see. We already knew that. You know, Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks are we're going to be doing their rehab elsewhere. But um, other than that, it was great to see that uh, pretty much everyone was there. Um, we were missing a couple guys. Pete Carroll didn't speak. I think maybe he'll speak after Thursday's practice this week. So hopefully we'll get some word on where, um, I think we were missing Tariq Woolen, uh, Daryl Taylor and, um, Mario should we, Edwards should we Jr., crucify the them for that? <laughs> well, let's Sh- wait. Should see. they be crucified? Yes or no? You're in charge. No, no. no. All right. So we'll there's, hold well, off. Cause there's been times in the past where uh, guys show up maybe a couple days later, they had a family emergency, something like that. We have no idea. What, All right. What so we're willing to so. wait on family emergency possibilities before <laughs> crucifying Tariq Wollin. All right, good. Now I know. All right. So those are the guys that weren't there. Tell me about the guys that were and who, who was the person above everybody else that stood out to you? That as soon as you saw him, you're like, oh man. Well, I mean, the first thing I saw was just Bobby being back and mm. like everybody kind of gravitating towards him. And um, I, right before I got there, um, Mike Lefko was telling me that he was, you could see him giving Devin Bush advice and coaching him up on the field. And, um, and then, yeah, I saw Quandre kind of talking to Julian Love after some of the plays. So it was great to see those guys there providing some leadership for the new guys and the, and the younger guys. Um, but yeah, as far as like who just stands out, I really, I told you guys in my email, I think that, uh, 
from the new guys, Zach Charbonnet and Derek Hall would win Brock's Body Show. They're the Body Show group. It's funny when I the, the person who jumped out to me so much from the body standpoint was when I saw him was Mike Miller. I mean, he's Mike just Morris. or Mike Morris, excuse yeah. me. Dude's huge. Yes. Like he just I didn't realize for whatever reason what he was when they drafted him until you get a chance to see him at camp and you're like, man, he is a really, really large human being. So uh you notice okay, so some of the guys were were getting some coaching points from some of the veterans, Bobby and and Quandre, who are really supposed to be the leaders on this team, especially on this defense. Good. Uh, you watch wide receiver corners. Did you get a chance to see some of the skill position folks out there? Yeah, I got to see a lot of the receivers. It was great that uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't seem as limited this time. He maybe didn't do everything, but um, he was doing the drills where, you know, Gino and Drew were tossing him balls and he had to run down the field, do a quick cut, come back to the ball. So it definitely didn't seem like the hamstring was an issue. In okay. So he can kind of do whatever. He, that's what kind of what we saw in uh, in rookie camp, too, is that he could do it, but then when it came to the team portion, they just held him out of it for whatever reason. Yeah. So, okay, good. Um, I didn't get to see a ton of Witherspoon. I mean, it's hard because, you know, they're not doing much. <laughs> they're, uh, everything's kind of a, a jogging pace for most of it. Um, I did think it was funny when they were doing those um, – when they were having the receivers kind of run around, cut, turn, turn back, uh, Jake Bobo, uh, like the effort level was so strong that he was kind of letting out some like Robbie Ray grunts. He was grunting. Yeah, Belmont Hill guy. <laughs> Try hard, Belmont Hill guy. Oh my gosh, grunting, grunting out there to get rivalry. noticed. Yeah, I, I get it. Not allowed to try harder though, TS. Grunting out there to get noticed. I, I get it. Okay, fine, good. Okay, so we know that about Jake Bobo. He's a grunter. Uh, DK yep. looked like DK. I'm Him told that for the most part, that's all that the people from Belmont Hill can say. I mean, they're they're asked to speak, and all they can do is grunt at their answers. So that's not a huge surprise. That's actually the first language for the <laughs> Belmont Hill, Hill school. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So All right, he's going to be the next guest I try to get on. Yep. For us, okay, so. good. So he's grunt. Yeah, he'll grunt at us. Yeah, good. <laughs> nice. Great. Okay. Uh, did you see D. Eskridge? Because for whatever reason, I did. of all the people, that's who uh, Gino was talking up after uh, after practice yesterday. He was all excited about uh, D. Eskridge. What did you think? He looked great. Um, I, he He's so fast and he's so athletic. You see why they fell in love with him. But I remember I went like back to my notes from last year and I was singing the same thing around this time last year. And then he tweaked a hamstring, missed the rest of OTAs and a good portion of training camp. So he just needs to show that he can stay healthy and do it this year. Cause I don't, I don't think the talent is the issue with him. Well, I, I mean, we haven't seen that. I don't know what the issue is with him. We, you're right. Obviously the, the injuries have been a problem when he's not on the field. He's not good, which is fine. What is he when he has been on the field? And I think that's the question that we all have to answer. I mean, the one thing you could say about some of these, you know, chronically injured guys, CJ Procise, Rashad Penny, et cetera, is when they were healthy, you saw it, production, yeah. right? I mean, when Rashad Penny was healthy, he was as good as any back in the game for the most part. Then he'd get hurt and you'd be frustrated and okay, fine. But when he was healthy, the dude would average more than five yards per carry. When D. Eskridge is healthy, he's done bubka. So Geno Smith kind of talking him up afterwards to me, I, you know, it says something at least for the guy. Yeah, I, I really see the growth in his his mindset, you know, his mentality. He wants it. He's always wanted it. He's always had that ability. But I think, you know, he obviously has some setbacks. But um, I can see just in his mental makeup that he's ready, you know, to take that next step and um, 
it's my job to help him, you know, so that's why I want to be there with him. But he's working his butt off. He's super explosive out here on the field. I mean, he's one of the more explosive guys I've ever seen. So, um, you know, if, if we can get him where, you know, I think he'll be, I think it'll help us out a lot. Okay. If he's one of the most explosive guys you've ever seen, let's see it. And boy, am I ready for it, man. And then it's okay for a wide receiver to take a little bit of time. It's taken him a couple of years. He had the concussion. He had injuries. Fine. Clean slate. But if the drafting of Jackson Smith and Jigba wasn't the ultimate wake-up call for you in your career, then you're not going to get it here in the NFL. Very true. Right? And I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a first-rounder. He's going to be given every opportunity. Like you but have you are to, a second-rounder. You have to go right? and... I know, but the, you're not some fifth rounder where we're going. All right, you know this guy's definitely oh, no, going to start over you. For like, him. I'm just saying, like Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the guy that's going to be given every opportunity to win that job this year. To me, it's D. Eskridge's. He's going to have to go take it. He better really. He's he got to have that mentality. He's got to go out there every day like he needs to earn Gino's that starting the right job. Guy for it, both second round picks kind of fell on their face. Right now, yeah. if I'm if I'm if I'm guessing when trying to predict what that uh, what that wide receiver rotation looks like obviously DK and Tyler then Jackson Smith and Jigba and after that I'm probably looking at at uh, the kid they drafted last year in the late rounds I right you love Derek I love Derek was out there yesterday too I thought that at the end of the year he came on strong and when healthy he's shown more productivity so far than D Eskridge well and he's willing to work his way up like the his play on special teams last year was phenomenal and he, he does a lot of those little things that uh that curse used to do right you sort of get in the way and throw those picks and all the sort of dirty work that a wide receiver can do and that we haven't seen any of yet from d eskridge so uh, if you're d and you want to be in the rotation of the top four wide receivers you better start getting to work and it's a good thing certainly that he was out with geno smith throughout the course of the offseason all right mariners win seahawks practice uh we got lewis riddick to play this morning we got brady henderson who was out there who will give us some thoughts on what he saw we got jeff passing today we got a lot going on hope you're here for the long haul it's brock and salk seattle sports on 710 seattlesports.com need to know 15 minutes past every hour with brock and salk here's what you need to know up first well break out the bats they were out last night for sure especially the home run balls mariners got a few of them to put the a's away early jared kelnick doing damage Pitch to kelnick swinging a drive deep to center field this one is going where's it gonna land way up at the top of the upper deck to the right of the batter's eye Holy smokes, Jared Kelnick with a drive to center field. Puts the Mariners on top, 2-0. Here in the bottom of the first inning, his 10th home run of the year. I'm told that that was 455 feet. And I'm told that's the longest home run hit by a Mariner at T-Mobile Park this year. And I'm told it was one foot longer than the previous longest home run hit by... Julio Rodriguez. Uh-huh. Do you think Jared Kelnick is aware of that information? No I don't know, but no I am way. now aware of it. By the way, it wasn't the only guy to go deep. Young second baseman Jose Caballero just keeps this magical mystery tour going. Stretch and the next off of the way. Swing and a well-hit ball. Deep to left center field. Is that number two? And it is goodbye baseball. Holy smokes, Jose Caballero with a three-run home run into the Mariners' bullpen. In left 
left center field. The Mariners lead the A's five to nothing. Kelnick had a couple more hits on the day. Julio had three hits, the last of which, actually two of which were very well struck, which was great. Uh, so oh, just good to see the bats get it going. 11 runs on the day. Luis, uh, Luis Castillo, though, did pitch well. He got his command back. Yes, it was against a double-A lineup that the A's are rolling out there, but you know what? He looked better. His command was better. He was putting the ball where it needed to be, and Scott Service, uh, pretty impressed with not only that, but his 1,000th strikeout of his career. You know, he had been mid-thigh with too many of his pitches the last couple times out, and that's what gets him in trouble. You know, the sinker's got to be down below. The four-seamer has got to be up the top rail, top of the strike zone or just above. He had a really good changeup tonight as well. Maybe not quite as many sliders, uh, but getting the combination of those pitches going is key for him. This guy's got awesome stuff. He's a really good competitor. You know, he gets a thousand strikeout tonight. I mean, it's he's really, really good. But I don't care how good you are, how good your stuff are. If you live in that middle area of the strike zone, you're going to get hit. And that's what happened. He's got to stay out of there. And he did it tonight. Yeah, he absolutely did. Six, thank you. Play me my song for Luis. Oh, he was fantastic last night. There were some Pedro-like change-ups again last night. Did you notice those, Maura? Did you notice a few of those no, Pedro like changeups? I don't have this obsession with him and Pedro that you do. I, I mean, I like and they're, they, they just their their stuff is so similar. <laughs> when you see that changeup tumble, arm side low, it just it very reminiscent of what we used I to just see like from Pedro Martinez. Here's the second thing you need to know. Before the game, we did get a uh, big old injury update from GM Justin Hollander. Let's run through it, starting with Cal Raleigh, who had missed some time with a little neck issue. Scott Service, though, saying that it uh, is a bit of an issue. He's going to keep playing him, but fortunately, the MRI showed no structural damage. Also, Dylan Moore uh, continuing on his his uh, rehab assignment. He should be able to play and be activated at some point on this homestand. Any guesses what happens at that point? I got I to gotta guess. I mean, look, if you're going to activate Dylan Moore, you're either going to send down Haggerty or you're going to DFA Colton Wong. Based on the last four games, I got a sneaky suspicion it's going to be the latter, but we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, Andres Munoz apparently was feeling better after throwing a light bullpen, so uh, they are still targeting an early June, so somewhere between the 1st and the ninth return for him. Penn Murphy should be activated on the next road trip as well, as long as everything goes according to plan. Uh, poor Easton McGee. Guy made that one start, pitched great, got the hard luck loss, and then had Tommy John surgery just this week. That's a huge bummer, as it turns out that the uh, UCL was the problem all along. And then Evan White did have his hip surgery. I think it was just yesterday, maybe the day before, and uh, hopefully that will clear things up for him and allow him to finally get back to being the ball player that the Mariners chose to sign before he even reached the big leagues. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, Day one, full squad OTAs in the books for the Seahawks. By all accounts, it was a great success. Almost everyone was there, although there were a few missing. More mentioned Tariq Woolen and Daryl Taylor, notable absences, Uh, especially Taylor. Look, I get Woolen maybe, but Taylor, contract year, team just drafted another second rounder who plays your position. You're probably a guy that, you know, I would think would want to be there. Geno Smith asked who stood out. Man, he's so impressive. He's talking here about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Man, he's so impressive. Uh, very smooth route runner, um, natural hands, uh, and also, you know, the game's not too big for him. Uh, you can see he's got that self-confidence that you look for. Um, you know, he, he's learning, he's picking up his assignments, 
uh, learning the offense, uh, you know, like all the other rookies and uh, new guys. And so really, really, uh, Jackson's been tremendous so far, and I'm just looking forward to seeing him grow and grow as the weeks come about. You know, it's funny, when we were out at the rookie camp, everybody wanted to throw the ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? Hey, I'm a quarterback. I want to try to make this team. You know what I'm going to do? Throw to the guy I know is really, really good. He's the 20th overall pick. For Gino. And maybe I'll throw the ball to DK Metcalf. And maybe I'll throw the ball to the veteran Tyler Lockett. And uh, if Jackson gets himself a couple of reps, sounds good. We'll see whether or not we can trust the rookie on down the line. Uh, Seahawks do sign a couple guys to uh, just uh, round out that roster. One, an old friend, Artie Burns, who I was just talking about with Brady Henderson for whatever reason on Friday. Artie Burns returns. We'll see whether or not he's got a shot at making the team this year now that he's supposedly healthy. And then they also signed a, a rookie free agent nose tackle, Latrell Bumpfus. Not Bumpus, Bumpus. Great name. Latrell Bumpus. I like that. He could be on with Bumpf and Stacy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. That's Good everything try. you need to know. Sorry. It's my bad. The text machine's not working, so if you want to give me grief about it, there's nothing I can I can't even read your grief. Sorry. You'll just have to you'll be you'll be texting into the ether because the whole thing's just not working, so what did you think about Julio's overall day? Because mm. a couple bad at bats, a yep. couple hard hit balls, one yep. for an out, yep. one good double down the line, and then a kind of a little bloopy, I'm going to stretch this out into a double that looks better on a stat sheet than it probably is. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Those are the ones that kind of get you going. I like that he went to right field with it, even if he wasn't necessarily trying to. Hopefully it's a another wake-up call for him of like, hey, there's there's some room over there in right field. You don't need to crush every single ball. It's not important yeah. to hit every ball for a home run. You had a great day yesterday without hitting a home run, although you know, I'm sure there's a part of him that's like, yeah, sure, Salk, but what'd you lead off with? You didn't lead with my day. You led off with Jared Kelnick because he hit another home run. Yeah, Maybe, but Kelnick's just sort of doing it all right now, right? I mean, you kind of look at that day that he has three for four with the home run and three driven in. That's such a great day, but Julio has has three hits yesterday as well, mm-hmm. right? I mean, added another one later and, and just start just start building those numbers, building that base, stringing together a level of consistency until eventually you get back to where you were before. Get on base. Kelnick's hot right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the way it was yesterday, right? Yeah. Find a way to get on base and, and let Jared do the damage, which is exactly what he did yesterday. All right, we'll get back to the Mariners at 7 o'clock and talk through these two guys because I think that that uh, Jared Kelnick may be in a unique position to help Julio. We'll talk through that at 7 o'clock. Lewis Riddick joins us next. He loved this Seahawks draft class. Hear why. Coming up on Brock and Salk. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. It has been too long since we have talked to one of our very, very favorite guests, Louis Riddick. From ESPN, taking a few minutes to join us uh, now that the draft and everything is in the rearview mirror. We got OTAs today. Louis, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing really well, man. I mean, uh, you know, just really happy about a lot of the moves that the Seahawks have made off season and then into the draft. What did you make of what they did in the draft this year? I think it's just it's just doing more real, real quality work uh, and building on what, as you guys know, I believe got started last year in particular. Uh, I don't think you can be any happier with the return on investment they got last year out of the new players that came in there. I don't, and I think 2023 will result in the same 
with both some of the veteran player acquisitions that they that they pulled off, and in particular, I think you know everyone's always excited about and intrigued about just how are these young guys, how is the young blood going to do that's being poured into this roster, injected into this roster. And honestly, look, I'm an optimist by nature anyway, but I'm a realist as well. And I think those two are converging real nicely when it comes to this team. You you can't argue against Devin Witherspoon. You can't argue against Jack, Jackson Smith and Jig, but no matter how hard you try, you can't argue against Derek Hall. You can't argue against Zach Charbonnet and how these guys fit into what Seattle wants to do, what they've already demonstrated they can do at the college level, and what you project to be their future performance in these systems with this team, with this young uh, roster base that's already been put together. It's, and you know, not, and look, I, I think of all these guys, let's put it this way. I, I think that their fourth rounder, Anthony Bradford, out of LSU, I think has the potential to be as good as any of them. It's not the best one of them all because his his skill level is just so ridiculously good. Look, John and his group, that being John Schneider and his group, have definitely over the past two years hit a sweet spot with what the coaches are looking for, what the coaches want to work with, both in terms of their physical characteristics and how these guys then take what they're being taught and apply it to the field. And that was evident last year, and I would suspect it'll be evident again this year. And as long as all of a sudden guys don't forget how to play or Pete doesn't forget how to coach or, you know, I know they're like, I, I hear some of the chatter about, look, last year was a one-off for Gino. He can't possibly repeat that. I mean, that's just nonsense. That's just almost like rooting for someone to have had an aberration type of year for what reason? I, I think everything is just looking up for this team. And I'm, I'm as excited, if not more excited this year for this team than I was last year because they got better. They got better. And um, the West is wide open, man. It is wide open. And if you're Seattle, you're going, we're kicking that door down this year. So they're, they were a year ahead last year. Okay, there's like four things there, Lewis, right there. I mean, just yeah, there's a lot. There's, there's like four things. Okay. And then we're going to start with this one. Like you can't, are you, you, when you say something like you can't argue with Devin Witherspoon, you can't argue. Do you know sports radio? Do you know Twitter? <laughs> well, it will, it will argue. Sure. It will argue anything. Well, well, you know what? Well, okay. Well, all right. Then let's take it. Let's take these four things. What are you going to argue about Devin Witherspoon? A corner at number five. Maybe, maybe somebody has said a corner. A corner at number five. I've heard somebody argue, you know, a corner, a premium position. You call a corner a premium position at number five? You could take a <laughs> corner that high? <laughs> yeah, you sure can. And well, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> so if we were to argue, well, not argue, let's just say if we were going to discuss the top five positions, Brock, on a football team, you know, so you're starting from scratch. You're, you're having an expansion team. Corner is going to be in your top five positions. Quarterback's always going to be number one, and then everything else is up for grabs over the next four. It's going to be offensive tackle, pass rusher, corner, wide receiver in some order. In some order, it's going to be one of those. So why would so if you think Devin Winston represents what you philosophically believe in, 
what you realistically need on your football team, and ultimately he is going to give you, you know, fifth. I mean, um, you know, top five overall production. You know, for the next five to eight years, ten years, then you take him. A slot take, receiver? You take a slot receiver at twenty? You're for you're the number one okay, receiver so, in the league's a who, slot receiver. Who says Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba is just a slot receiver? Twitter. He's not. <laughs> he's not just a slot receiver. Now, are you saying how he's going to be used in Seattle? Mm-hmm. Or how? And see, I, I would argue still he's not just going to be used as a slot receiver in Seattle, and he's not just a slot receiver. You go to Ohio State and you talk to Brian Hartline and Ryan Day, or you just throw on the tape and watch Jackson play. Yeah, he will. He will cut you a new one at slot position, but he doesn't have to. He can play the X. He can play the Z. He can play either one. And see, quite honestly, that's what I want. I, I want three wide receivers. Look up the three of their top three right now. Who's the guy who's least likely to go inside? Right. Obviously, we know that's DK. But Jackson is the dude who, as a defensive player, I'm going. I don't know where number eleven is going to wind up. Going to line up. I know that if I'm a safety and he's lined up in the slot, I better be looking for who's helping me. Who's the guy who's helping me? If he's outside, I'm going this. This guy is about as smooth and as crafty as the as a release technician and a route runner as there is. So I'm not in, and he has plenty of speed. I know people say, well, he's not four three, he's not four two. Jackson, we'll, we'll we'll see when training camp rolls around whether or not he is speed challenged or not in terms of being able to line up on the outside and win. I'm not. It, so, yeah. I'm not worried about it. I think at the end of it, honestly, the only one that you'd really argue, and I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate with all of these because I certainly uh, understood and appreciated those first-round picks. Derek Hall, they loved. I mean, they had a first-round grade on them. They loved, so I'm going to yeah. trust their judgment. The one that you would nitpick, the one that you would argue, I think the one that may have the most meat on the bone is you go running uh-huh. back at 52 when there right. was still a need for big bodies on that defensive line in their right. front seven. You know that That's the sure. one that I think got nitpicked the most. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And I don't disagree with you as to where the, there could be some debate and discussion there because Mel Kuyper was killing me on the set during this, you know, as this was going on, he's going, they still can't stop the run, Luke. Still can't stop the run. Still can't stop the run. And I'm like, I know. I get, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I hear you. I hear you. And that will be, you're right. You're right. That will be one where you sit there and you go, hey, look, they come out here and, you know, they're giving up four, four and a half, four, eight, five yards of carry still, you know, and it's, and it's getting ugly like that again, and teams are playing ball control because they don't have to throw it against all these good DBs because they can just run it down their throat. Then, yeah, then wow. replay this replay this, this interview because, <laughs> and, and, replay, and replay the draft too because I'm going to be sitting going, I didn't say that. That's not me. Well, it is It is a major, major problem. But I'm going to disagree with both of you guys a little bit because I, I, while I am with Mel, I don't think they can stop the run. And I do think it's going to be a major problem for them this year and maybe even a fatal flaw. I think the problem then comes with your first second round pick and Derek Hall. And I'm, I'm not ripping that pick. Again, if they had a first round grade on him, I love it. But that's mm-hmm. where you passed on a bunch of defensive tackles, specifically what's the kid Benton from Wisconsin. I don't know whether yeah, he's yeah. going to end up being a great player or not, but yeah. those that those are the guys who went between your two number two picks. And yeah. if you like Charbonnet at that point might have been your best bet. The question is, mm-hmm. could you could you have gone inside with your first second round pick or is is uh, is Derek Hall going to be enough to make that worthwhile? Well, I think there's there's a couple of things here. Like, I think 
Okay, so we'll we'll see. I, I happen to know. I've seen Derek Hall up close and personal. I've seen Cam Young. I did the, the Egg Bowl this past year, so I know how good he can be and how good he was in school. We'll see what happens with a guy like Mike Morris. Do they keep him at defensive end? Does he become a hybrid inside-outside player that also gives you a 6'5", 300-pounder who can move inside? And how do these guys – Come along now. I'm, I'm. I know that these aren't. And look, Keanu Benton's an interesting name that you bring up, right? Because he, he's one of those guys where, if you watch his Wisconsin tape just this past year, there's multiple games where you're going, "I wouldn't draft this dude. I would not draft him. I'd put a highway cone out there before I draft him." And then I go down to the Senior Bowl and I'm watching him, and I have guys who I trust implicitly as far as defensive line evaluation telling me, "Hey, Lewis, you know who he reminds me of at this point in his career? He reminds me of Chris Jones, Kansas City Chris Jones." But he has that kind of potential, that kind of upside. And I've watched Mike Tomlin sitting there staring at him, just watching him. And I go, well, that's interesting. Well, it's not no coincidence that they drafted him. Hmm. So I get it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount how Cam Young could come along. Derek Hall is a – look, he is a hard-playing SOB, man. This guy gets after it. Hmm. He gets after it. And he is going to be fun to watch. And Mike Morris – that's another one of those guys. It's just like you see the power, you see the natural strength, and he has got a heck of a – like he's just got so much going for him. I hope he, I hope he becomes that dude who can be an inside-outside player that gives them the kind of beat that can slow down – they can slow down some of the bleeding that they've had as far as run defense is yeah. concerned. So, so Lewis you – know, development. There's development potential there. I, I love listening to you talk about the Seahawks, and, and you were right on last year with their draft class, and I think you're probably going to be right on this year. I feel like they've nailed it again. But let's talk through how the heck they're going to stop the run. I mean, un- unfortunately, Mike Morris might be great, and and yeah. and Cam Young might be great, but they're rookies, and yeah. that greatness is probably a little ways off. That's generally sure. the case in the NFL. Is this yeah. team serious about contending in 2023? And if so, how are they yeah. going to stop the run well enough to do that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously, a lot of the young guys, okay, do I think they're serious about contending? Yes. How are they going to do that? Okay, so if you're if you're if you're if you can't ever get the third down and unleash what I consider to be some real good potential as far as being able to rush the passer, how are you going to ever turn that loose if you can't ever get into second and long, third and long situations because you're always playing second and four, second and three? Um, I guess we're going to find out. <laughs> I um, mean, are, are Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed yeah. that big of an upgrade from what you had a year ago? Because, I mean, we're talking all these yeah. draft picks. Let's remember, yeah. they went out and got, on paper, the second-best defensive lineman in this free agent class in Draymond Jones. They bring yeah. back Jaron Reed, an absolute alpha that they know inside and out. I mean, let's remember those two guys added with this draft class because they're difference makers, are they not? Absolutely. Draymond Jones is a stud. He's a stud. I, I was focusing on the draft class, but, yeah, Draymond Jones is a stud. Uh, Jaron Reed is someone, yeah, I mean, you know, they know him very well. Of the two, like I, I, like I'm, if you say, the well, just pick between one of those two who you think is going to have a real tangible impact, I'm taking Draymond Jones all day. Love the way the man plays. So, yeah, I'm, and I'm not – I mean, those guys are not throwaways by any means, and you're, you're dead on, Brock. So, yeah, they, they – will more than be able to hold their own. Look, I, I think 
I think in, in the NFL now, look, teams are interested in producing explosives on offense through the air, throw to um, throw to get the lead, run the ball to protect it. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily Pete's philosophy, but I know that you know when teams are building football teams, they need explosive playmakers. Obviously, they need to protect their quarterback. You see they've got the running backs here. I mean, look, so I, I think they're very well-rounded and very well set up on offense. Defensively, teams emphasize reducing explosives, plus 20, plus 15-yard plays. Yeah, they'll, they will figure out, look, schematically somehow, some way, as long as we have competent players up front, we'll be able to get to second and six, second and seven at some point because then we can turn loose the guys who we know we have to make sure we have enough of, which are pass rushers and play, people who can cover in the back end. Hey, so yeah, I'm, I'm, along those lines, look, I hope Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed and, and Cam Young and these guys are good enough to where they can get to those second and long, third and long situations. Because I think once you get there, I think this team's going to be sitting right where they want to sit. Uh, last question for me, Lewis. I know I'm old. I know it. I'm 47, uh, 24 years of marriage today. I know I'm getting old. Uh, last week, uh, I had made a, a comment about I'd really like to see Jamal Adams at these OTAs. He's, he's down yeah. in Florida. He's rehabbing a very significant injury. All of that is very real. Happened week one of the season. He spent nine months yeah. so far you know, rehabbing. He's got his people in Miami and Florida that he enjoys doing all of that with. And Quandre Diggs kind of clapped back at me, you know, and just said, you know, poo-poo take um, or bad take that, you know, because I really was adamant that I think he needs to be around his team for a week. Come up to OTAs, spend some time up there. Do your rehab for a week with the bring your own people for crying out loud. I don't care. You got the resources to do it. Am I out of place? Is the the new player today just one like, hey, man, I'm going to rehab on my own and you will see me at the start of training camp. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I mean, full disclosure, I, I love Jamal Adams. Love him. Love him as a person. Developed a relationship with him. And, you know, so just let me put that out there first and foremost. What I would like to see Jamal, you know, in, in, in any situation, what I'd like to see guys who are, quote, unquote, just to use one of your phrase, alphas like that, guys who are leaders, guys who are you know, paid a lot of money, people look to to set the tone, they'd like to see them around. Would I like to see them around? Of course. And I've talked about that extensively on TV, man. The best players need to be around. Because the players, I mean, I always got inspired when our best players were around, whether it be in Cleveland, Atlanta, or Oakland. When they were around, I felt like I I was being held to a higher standard. Even if they were hurt, even if they were rehabbing, even if they weren't practicing for whatever reason, when they were around, it just felt more professional. It felt more like, okay, everybody's in this thing. So, yeah. I get your point, and I agree with you. Now, the landscape has changed, man. The landscape has changed as far as, far as how players look at the offseason and whether or not they need to be physically in the building or not. Every single year, it's been something about – I mean, players, more and more, the arc seems to be trending downward as far as how much time do I want to put in in the offseason as far as having my, you know, me being physically present at the uh, facility relative to how much more money they're making. It's all go, it's going in the opposite direction. And I'm old school like you. I hate that fact. I hate it because it's a team sport. And I love the team aspect of it. I didn't like training on my own away from everybody. I don't want to be in a bubble with my own trainers and doing my own thing. All that. No, I want to be around my boys. 
I want to be around my guys. That's what I love the most. I was one of those guys who was a, who was an absolute facility junkie. I was there all the time. Sometimes just be sitting there just doing nothing, just hanging out, talking to the guys, and then we'd go to Fridays and get lunch with the guys and just hang out because that's what I love. It, it seems to be a little different in off season now, and and I don't like it. I'll admit I don't like it at all, but. You know, there's a lot of things I don't like about the way <laughs> this generation does things. I got four kids. There's a lot of things I don't like about the way they do things either. I'm still, I just had a conversation with my wife this morning about it for about two hours, <laughs> trying to figure that out. What are you mad at your kids for? <laughs> oh, it, come on. We, we don't want to. You, no. you said we were on the last question. We don't have all day. Yes. <laughs> we we got to let you get back to your <laughs> wife and kids. We don't have all day to talk yes. through what's going on with your kids. Uh, my gosh. Lewis, thank you, man. You're the best. <laughs> They're great kids, man. You know how that goes, though. It's just, it's a different you just you're just on a different playing field now when it comes to you know what resonates with you know eighteen to twenty eight year olds. It's just different. Do you hold and your kids to the same standard you hold people on Twitter? Like, if you get something right and your kids are wrong, do you go back at them later and and, and show them the receipts? <laughs> Um, you know what? Sometimes you almost have to. Because if you, don't, they'll know, you know anything? Don't be like. I mean, if you don't stand up for yourself and be like, "Hey, see, look, I actually gave you some advice here that was actually right." Right. You know, they'll they'll never believe you're right about anything. No, of course not. They think that you don't know anything. So, hey, yeah, good so. stuff, man. Hey, we appreciate it. We think you know a lot, and yeah. we enjoy having you on here in Seattle. And uh, every time we do, I think we learn a little something. So, thank you, and uh, appreciate all course, the positive man. words about where the Seahawks are going. We'll talk again. Thanks, Lou. Absolutely. There's Lewis Riddick, uh, who, uh, yeah, he keeps the receipts, man. So uh, make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you haven't screwed up in the past. Lewis always keeps the receipts and uh, does a great job, too. And I, I, I love that we get the opportunity to have him on now and again. And he has been sort of at the forefront of the sort of Seahawk revolution here in the last couple of years, what they've done with their draft classes and how they've changed things over and how much talent he sees on this roster, which is different from the way a lot of the other national folks kind of see this, uh, this roster. So good on him. Kind of fun to talk to him. Damian Woody was like that the last time, 2013 or 12, really, as they were building it, he was sort of on the forefront of like, uh, has anybody noticed what's going on up in Seattle with this defense? Right. I was doing a lot of national shows at the time. And so I remember talking to Damian Woody a few times being like, dude, I think you're the only one saying this. And he's like, uh, that team is ridiculous because he had seen, you know, Sherman yeah. and Cam and Earl and sort of everything you know, me, Bane, kind of everything they had been building even before they added Averill and Bennett and kind of put the finishing touches on. And he was like, uh, yeah, Bobby, like that's that's good. It's a pretty nice feather to put in your cap. But yeah, when we had Riddick on last year was kind of at the height of of Russ just being traded and everyone thinking that it was a rebuild. We were talking about whether they should bring in Garoppolo or Mayfield because we didn't even really think Gino was a real He option. was a Garoppolo guy. Yeah, no, he wanted Garoppolo, but he also told us that he thought the rest of the roster was way better than people thought, and, uh, and I think that kind of gave us some encouragement because we weren't feeling too good about right. this team around this time last year. Not only that, he he thought the reason to go get Garoppolo was because the roster was pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely been a little bit higher on the Seahawks, certainly in their, their roster than everybody else. But you hear him say, too, that's all great. But if you can't stop the run, then we're going to go back to this same problem. And maybe that will be enough. I mean, you kind of hear him say that Dre Jones and, and maybe Jaron Reed and some of the other things they did, Bobby Wagner, are going to be enough to, to look. You don't need to be the best team in the league at stopping the run. You don't need to be number one, but you can't be 32. 
You know what I mean? You you can't be terrible at it. You just need to be at least average there because you've got some other skills on your team that should be above average. You should be able to take the ball away a little bit defensively. You should be able to get after the quarterback with what you've drafted on the outside. You should be able to move the ball fairly consistently given your offensive line, your running back group, and your wide receiving core, plus a quarterback who had a pretty good year last year. You should have a pretty good offense. You should have a pretty good secondary. And if your front seven, which I believe should be able to get after the passer, can at least just be fine against the run so that other teams aren't gashing you for six, seven yards every time they decide to hand the ball off, you could be a pretty good team. You can be a playoff team. Could be. Were last year, no reason you shouldn't be again this year. You can be a Super Bowl team. That one's hard for me still. You're going to win the division? They could. I mean, I guess it depends on on what San Francisco's quarterback, quarterback. system or situation looks like. But you're gonna you're gonna win the Super Bowl. You're gonna go to a Super Bowl. You're gonna beat Philly. I, I, I'm gonna need to see a little bit more. I'm gonna need a little more convincing on on the defense and specifically that front seven before I fully buy that that's a, a realistic possibility for this team. But are you gonna be better? Yeah, you should be. You should be better, maybe a game better than you were last year and still continuing to build with some of that nucleus. And and maybe you are one more year away from truly being in that Super Bowl contention kind of phase of your program. All right. Coming up, uh, it was a tremendous night for the Mariners. Yes, it came against a lousy Oakland team, but you don't get to uh, take away the win just because of that. And it's not so much that they won or even that it was a blowout. It's who triggered that win and what they could do for each other. We'll talk through it next. Brock will be in. It's Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710 Seattle Sports app.